just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Back again on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your week's going well. Hope it's running perfectly. Yeah, we know better than that. Nothing ever runs perfectly. There's something that goes awry or something you have to worry about or be concerned about or stressed over. That's part of being an adult. (laughs) No day is perfect. We get a lot of good days. We have our bad days. But always somehow there's something that comes in the mix that causes you concern or upsets you or something like that. The reason I bring that up is because a couple days ago I was spending time running around with my granddaughter. She's 18 months old. She is an absolute joy. She's adorable. And I can't tell you how much I love that kid and how much I enjoy taking time and spending it with her. We were at uh, my grandson's soccer game, and of course, she's little and doesn't really pay attention too well and likes to run around. So Grandpa is running next to her, (laughs) and she can be a little hard to keep up with. I mean, the little girl's got 11-inch inseam, but she can run like the wind. Even my son said to me, are you sure you can keep up with her? I said, shut up. Of course I can't. Look at you, you're a big old man now, and who raised you? Me and your mom. We can handle this little guy, too. So anyways, we're running around, and I'm I'm watching her and just laughing constantly because she's got always this look of joy on her face because everything she sees is brand new to her. (laughs) She does this thing where she kind of takes in a breath and points when she sees something new. She'll go, (gasps) and point, and then she'll go running toward it. And all she does is smile. She's a little mischievous and all that. And as I said, I can't help but look at her and I think, God, I love this kid. I I can't wait to see her grow up and I'm enjoying the time I have with her when she's small. But then I realized something as I was watching her. I was kind of envious. Yeah, actually envious of this little 18-month-old girl. Because I realized when I'm looking at her, She doesn't understand anything bad going on in this country. She doesn't know what racism is. She doesn't know what anti-Semitism is or misogyny. She doesn't know what hate is. All she's experienced up to this point is love. Mom and dad, brother, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles. Everybody loves her. Everywhere she goes, she's this cute little girl. And everybody's happy to see her. Now, I've never been one that wants to go back in time and relive my life. Actually, I'd be afraid to do that. I had some good times in my past, but I'm really content with where I am now. I wouldn't want to go back and change anything. In spite of the troubles and tribulations that I went through in my life, I wouldn't want to change any of that. First, I wouldn't want to experience it again. Secondly, I wouldn't want to change it because it might alter where I ended up. And frankly, where I ended up, I'm very content with and very happy with. But it's still easy to be envious of a little kid this age. 
She doesn't understand any of the negativity in this country, and clearly we have many. Now, an old man like me does have a lot of concern about what's going on in this country, and clearly I've pointed that out in this podcast and on my TikToks. But what you have to understand is I'm not so worried about me. I'm worried about my kids, and I'm really worried about that little girl. She doesn't know what she's in for. World is a tough place. Life isn't easy. And no matter how well you're raised and how many people love you, you're going to get out in that real world sometime, and it's going to be a rude awakening on many occasions. And I don't want her to have that. Well, she I can't avoid her getting that. But what my concern is, is what is this country going to be like when she's old enough to understand these problems and these issues in this country? And I envy her because, you know, as much as I think about what's going on in politics and the troubles and the problems in day-to-day life, it would be so refreshing to be fresh and clean again, to go back and experience a day or two like she is experiencing right now. No worries, no concerns, just joy and excitement about experiencing new things. Have everybody around you love you, take care of you, and do all the things you need. Now, of course, no adult gets that (laughs) because we get into the real world. But I am envious of that little kid every time I watch her. And I also become protective. People always ask me, why do you do this stuff on TikTok? Why do you do this stuff on the podcast? Well, I do it for two reasons. First of all, because I don't think the media really portrays what actually is going on to people. Or they don't listen closely enough, so they don't know what's going on specifically. So I do try to boil it down and give it to people in real simple terms so everybody gets it. It's hard to be for or against something if you don't really understand the full amount of what's going on. So I'm trying to do my part and provide that information, hopefully in a palatable way, so more people can be informed so the choices they make are better. But I'm also doing it in hopes to stave some of this horrible shit off, get rid of some of the negativity and the problems and the tribulations and the trials and all the things going on in this country best I can. I mean, I'm one man, but now we've got a lot of people listening to the podcast, a lot of people listening to TikTok. So now we're getting a certain amount of power out of this. And if by doing that, we can rid ourselves of some of the problems in the future. So that little girl or your granddaughter or son or daughter doesn't have to deal with that shit. Well, then that makes our time on this earth valuable. The one thing we have to do in our lives is protect our family, our spouses, our kids, and then the grandkids come along. Now, their moms and dad have to protect them, but I'm here too. I've got a lot of experience and a lot of things, and if I can do something, do anything to help fix what that future might be for her, God damn, I better do it. And that's what I'm trying to do. But I am envious of that little girl. It would be nice to take a break from now, now and again. And not have to worry about anything. Just live off joy and adventure. (laughs) And being loved by everybody.
Well, when you're an adult, that kind of goes away. So what I'd like to do is let her continue with this feeling as long as she can without having to be thrown in the middle of more negativity problems that we're experiencing in this country. She'll hit it eventually, but she'll be smart enough and hopefully trained enough by her family to deal with those situations. Now, to start things off today, I want to talk about the FBI a little bit, and I'll try to refresh your memory here. You might remember when Donald Trump took office as president, the director of the FBI was Jim Comey. Now, you know all about the problems with Jim Comey. Jim Comey had the audacity to look into Donald Trump. And what does Donald Trump do? He fires Jim Comey. And that was a mess. It continues to be a mess. And honestly, Jim Comey may have deserved some of it because he was a little off in some areas, too. I don't know much about him. But when Jim Comey left, uh, Deputy Director Andrew McCabe ended up director of the FBI. Now, I'm sure Donald Trump thought this would be better. I can control Andrew McCabe or anybody else. I mean, frankly, that was Donald Trump's goal all along. Get everybody to do what he wants, and then everything's fine. Well, now, Andrew McCabe, director of the FBI now, did something that Donald Trump didn't like. And let's be honest up front. There should be no connection or tie-in between the executive branch, the president, and the DOJ. That's always been kind of sacrosanct because the president should, shouldn't have any control over the DOJ. But, of course, we know Donald Trump had all kinds of control over the DOJ with Greg Sessions and, um, and everybody in the DOJ. And I bring up Greg Sessions because he was the attorney general at the time of this situation I'm going to be talking about. So Andrew McCabe is the new director, and he initiates an investigation in the Trump-slash-Russia ties to the election meddling. Well, as you might guess, this pisses off Donald Trump. He's not happy about it. He doesn't even want to talk about it. We know it existed. We've seen the evidence that it existed. But Donald Trump didn't want that exposed. Now, the thing about Donald Trump, he is, in a true sense, a bully. He uses power against people who have less power. He rolls over the top of them, and then uh, he destroys them to the best of his ability. Now, Donald Trump wasn't going to be happy with firing this guy, which he did. But he had to be vindictive about it, too. See, Andrew McCabe was getting close to retiring, like within days. And instead of Donald Trump just allowing him to retire and move on, he was vindictive about it. He fired him prior to him getting his pension. Now, here's a guy that spent his life in the FBI. Like him or not, he did his time. He earned his pension. But Donald Trump took that away from him on purpose. There was no mistake. There was nothing about it. In fact, he pushed the issue after McCabe was let go. Not only did they take his pension away, they put him on trial for whatever crimes Donald Trump claimed he committed. Well, during that trial, of course, he was acquitted of everything. He was found innocent, and he served no 
punishment because of that situation. But now Andrew McCabe then in return sues Donald Trump because he feels like he was fired unfairly, had his pension taken away unfairly, and he proceeded to sue Donald Trump, the administration, the DOJ, and all of that stuff. Now, generally, something like this would take uh, a shorter period of time than this one did. But, of course, this was all the time when when, um, Donald Trump was president. So, of course, he's stopping, slowing down everything, being vindictive. But just today, 20 months after the fact that he filed this lawsuit, Andrew McCabe gets some vindication. See, he won the case. Yeah, he won. Now he's got his full pension restored. He's got $200,000 in back payments to that pension and other uh, benefits. And his firing will be expunged from his records. So Andrew McCabe didn't just win this case. The court basically came out and said, this is all bullshit. And as Andrew McCabe said, this should never happen to anybody, even him. A president shouldn't have that much control over a DOJ, shouldn't be vindictive and steal pensions and reputations from somebody. It went through court. Donald Trump's out of office. Now the DOJ had to deal with this situation, and they had to restore everything to Andrew McCabe. You see, this is the way Donald Trump deals with everybody. It doesn't matter whether they're right or wrong. If he doesn't like it, he goes after them, and he takes them down. And what's Andrew McCabe supposed to do? Yeah, he's the FBI director. But you've got the most powerful man in the world coming after you and being vindictive about it. Well, you're screwed. It's just fortunate that Andrew Mc- for, for Andrew McCabe, that Donald Trump lost the election, and then we were able to com- con- uh, continue with this lawsuit And he was ultimately able to win. Had Donald Trump still been president, who knows what would have happened. Now, what Donald Trump did to Andrew McCabe is a tragedy. It is a horrible thing that nobody should have to go through. But Andrew McCabe did. It took 20 months or more to get out from under this, to clear his reputation, just because Donald Trump wanted to sully it. It wasn't true. It wasn't just, but that's what Donald Trump does. He's a piece of shit. He tries to roll over people, and now that he's not president, he's going to start finding out what it's like to get rolled over himself. It's frustrating seeing the things he's done and the things he's left behind. And the future that he's possibly poisoning with our Republican Party, who's trying to undermine our democracy. It kind of goes back to what I said about my granddaughter. This undermining of democracy is troublesome for me, but I'm very worried about for the younger generations. They don't even know what's happening. They're playing in a fucking sandbox. They're having a good time, experiencing things they've never experienced before. They don't even understand what's going on now, but those people will have to live through that shit if it goes badly now. 
That's why this time in history is so important for people like me or you or everybody else to fight, to expose, to talk, to push back in order to stop some of these things happening. Because those poor little kids will suffer the consequences, not us. They will suffer the consequences. And if there's anything better to fight for than these young kids, I don't know what it would be. We got to keep pushing. We got to keep yapping. We got to keep talking to our representatives and pushing. Do what Donald Trump did. The Republicans did create this narrative, shove it down our throats until some people believe it and the other people can't do anything about it. We need to return the favor and do that in reverse, except pushing the narrative of truth and justice and good things. That may be the only way we can turn this around. We also uh, heard about uh, former President Bill Clinton is apparently in the hospital. Um, There's been a lot of talk of what's going on now. He did have heart problems some 20 years ago. He had stints put in. But apparently what he's in the hospital for now doesn't have anything to do with his heart, thankfully. It doesn't uh, have anything to do with COVID, thankfully. There's um, some talk. It was sepsis. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I've been watching doctors on this topic. And basically, what sepsis is, is what the body does when you have an infection in your body. Say you have an infection in your bladder. Uh, Your body goes into the sepsis to try to fight against it. You get a fever. Your heart, your blood pressure goes up. um, And it's a very difficult situation. I mean, it's tough for the younger folks, but if you're 75 years old and have had some other medical problems, it's not going to be easy. Now, the fact that Bill Clinton is in the hospital sounds like he's doing better. For the average person, this wouldn't be a big story. It's there because, of course, Bill Clinton is a former president of the United States. Now, In spite of the fact that Bill Clinton was a Democrat and the economy was pretty good, I was not a big fan of Bill Clinton. I thought he was a dirtbag, and I think that has proven itself out. But even as big a dirtbag as Bill Clinton was, the country seemed to flourish. The economy seemed to flourish. But no matter how bad Bill Clinton was, I would much rather have Bill Clinton than Donald Trump. At least he didn't try to destroy our government and democracy. So Bill Clinton is uh, in the hospital. No telling how long he'll be there or what specifically he has, but it sounds like he'll do all right. 75 isn't that old anymore, (laughs) especially now that I'm 61. 75 doesn't look that bad. When I was 25, Jesus Christ, that's elderly. He's lucky he's stuck on this long. But now that I'm 61, I have a little different view of it. That's the one thing about becoming this age, 61. I'm finding out that there's uh, people of my vintage that are getting sick, getting cancer, dying suddenly. I I had one relative who was a year older than I, die of a heart attack instantly, boom, this was a couple months ago. I have other relatives that have cancer and in the later stages of stage four cancer. And it's almost like crapshoot. 
when you get to be a certain age, you know, especially with cancer or heart attack or something like that, it all of a sudden happens. I mean, sure, there are things you can do to avoid it, and you do the best you can. But that doesn't mean you're going to stop it. I'm a believer that when God wants to take you home, he's taking you home. There's not much you can do about it. So it's it, it gets to be a, a, a scarier situation because you realize it could happen at any time. I mean, today it could be fine, and tomorrow you find out you've got all this trouble in your body. So you do think about that when you get older. But I'm always reminded whenever I worry about that. I did an interview with my grandfather many years ago, and he was about 92 at the time. He was probably my greatest hero. If I, if I aspire to be like anybody, it would be him. He was a nice guy. He was a funny guy. He was an easygoing guy. And I've always tried to emulate what he did because I was very close to him all of my life. His son, my father, he was an asshole. But thank God for my grandfather because he was a good role model on how to be a man. And to me, he meant a lot to me. And when he got to be a certain age, 92 years old, having worked in radio, I thought for posterity's sake that I would interview him, talk about his life. I thought it would be interesting. Now, I was pretty young at the time, in my 20s. Um, so I sat him down and we, I interviewed him. And the intention to interview him was basically to uh, talk about history. You know, he'd been through Pearl Harbor. He'd been through the Depression. He'd been through a lot of things. I mean, when he was born, there wasn't even radio in 1911, not on a mass scale. And when he died, we had the Internet. He saw a lot of changes in this country. And I thought it would be interesting to interview him and get his perspective at different parts of history, thinking to myself that maybe my grandchild or great-grandchild would find it interesting to hear one of their ancestors talk about a historic time that seems so long ago for them, hear from their ancestor what it was like to actually be in it. I still like that idea. I still have the tapes or the CDs, and I hope that my young granddaughter sometime when she's older, will have a chance to hear those things and maybe get some perspective that she wouldn't normally have. But what I did ask my grandfather at this time that ties into what I'm talking about, about health and dying and these sorts of things, my grandfather and I had a very open relationship. We talked about anything. We joked about anything. I could ask him anything. He could ask me anything. So one of the last things I asked him when I was doing this uh, interview I said to him, look, Grandpa, you're 92 years old. If you died tomorrow for any reason, it wouldn't be a surprise. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you're in the last stages of your life, and you know that, I know that, and uh, I'm fearful of that. I don't know if you're fearful of that. I said, how does it feel to be 92 years of age and know that at any moment something could happen? I mean, you're lucky to be this age and live this long, but at this point, the end could be fairly near. Tomorrow, you might now wake up, or all of a sudden something happens today. My question to you is, do you worry about this every day, knowing that death could come at any moment? Now, my grandfather was a smart man. He was a pragmatic man. 
And he just looked at me and said, look, man, I've lived a long life. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I got married. I worked a job. I had a career. I had kids. I raised my kids. My kids had kids, and I helped to raise my grandkids. I'm 92 years old now, and I'm tired, and I'm in pain in my body. Things are wearing out. I've come to the realization that at some point, not in so distant future, I'm going to pass away. And you know what? I'm not scared anymore. I've resigned myself to the fact that I can't control this. I'm going to eventually pass away. And you know what? I'm ready. I'm comfortable with what will happen after the fact and where I will go. And I'm ready when it comes. And to me, that was really compelling to me. I mean, here's a guy that was smart enough and sharp enough to understood understand where he is, what he is, and what ultimately will happen. And he was good with it. Now, I don't know if that just comes with age or if it comes with uh, intelligence or if he's just resigned to the fact and realized he can't do anything. And I think that's one of the things we all have to consider. We have whatever time is allotted to us. We need to do the best with those times. We need to do our jobs, whether it be raising children, raising grandchildren, doing our job, having fun, whatever it is. We need to do that when we have the opportunity to do that so that when we get to the point where time is short, that we have no regrets, that we can't say, God, I wish I would have done that, or I should have done that, or I failed at this. So when I see these people around me passing away, I'm thinking in my head, i got to get to that place, and I'm pretty close to that place. I feel comfortable and content with where I am. There's some things I'd still love to see, my grandchild growing up, for one. So I need to work on that. I need to not worry about getting sick and dying. I need to worry about making whatever I can do with the rest of my life productive and happy and positive and try to impart that to my children and grandkids as well, just as my grandfather did. It was a very compelling talk. He taught me a lot throughout my life, but that one moment, that one question, he taught me the most he could ever teach me. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Well, Thursday was the day when uh, these subpoenas that the House Select Committee put out to the four gentlemen that we've talked about a number of times, uh, Cash Patel, Dan Scavino, Mark Meadows, and Steve Bannon. We've been talking about it a lot. We're all guessing on what might occur. Will they show up? Will they not show up? Many of the people that are being subpoenaed are cooperating, but there are some that are not. You probably won't be surprised to hear that Steve Bannon, while he was scheduled to testify in front of the select committee, did not show. 
Now, he said as much before this all occurred. He said that he would not comply with the subpoenas because of executive privilege. Now, we've talked about this before. And for Steve Bannon, executive privilege isn't a thing. First of all, the only person that can assert executive privilege is a sitting president, not a former president, a sitting president. And that sitting president happens to be Joe Biden. And we know for a fact that Joe Biden said, no, we're not asserting executive privilege. All these documents can be released. Now, Steve Bannon still sticking to that executive privilege because that shit came out of Donald Trump's mouth. And he, would, he should know by now that anything that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth is either a lie or wrong. But still, he wants to stand by it. Now, you remember, Steve Bannon was convicted of a crime. And that crime had to do with Steve Bannon starting an organization to collect money to help Donald Trump overturn the election. He was collecting money from trump from Republicans, from people believing the big lie. Now, he didn't use that money to overturn the election. No, in fact, he siphoned it off for himself and used it on himself. Well, he went to trial over that. He was convicted of misuse of funds, and uh, he was to go to jail. However... Donald Trump pardoned him, as you know. Isn't it ironic that Steve Bannon robbed the very people that voted for Donald Trump, went to jail, and now Donald Trump releases him? That should tell the Trumplicants just how much Donald Trump gives a fuck about you. He doesn't. Well, Steve Bannon is loose. Now he's got a subpoena to uh, appear in front of the House Select Committee, and he decides not to. Executive privilege. Well, Donald Trump can assert that, as I pointed out. But more importantly, it wouldn't apply to Steve Bannon anyway. This hearing is about January 6th, maybe even January 5th, about the insurrection. Steve Bannon left the White House and left his job in 2017. So in January 6, 2021, he didn't work for the White House. He didn't work for Donald Trump. So he doesn't fall within the uh, perimeter of, of executive privilege, but still he's going to try to use it. Now, the House Select Committee knew that some people would not comply with the subpoenas and they wanted to take a tough tack on this situation. So they said, if people don't comply with the subpoena, we will refer them to the DOJ for criminal contempt. Now, it's a matter, will they actually do that? What's going to happen when they do? There's still a lot to be found out about this process especially now that Steve Bannon hasn't showed up for the subpoena. So the good news is that Benny Thompson, who is the chair of the House Select Committee, came out today and said, look, Steve Bannon's not showing up. He's telling us he's not showing up. 
so we are going to refer him to the DOJ for criminal contempt. Now, there is a process to this. The House is not in session currently this week, but they will again be in session next week. And so on Tuesday in the Select Committee, they are going to vote whether or not to refer um, Bannon to the DOJ. Presumably, that will pass. Then it has to go to the full House, and we can presume it will pass there as well, mainly because there's a Democratic majority. So once it passes the House, then Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, submits that order to the Department of Justice, to the U.S. Um, attorney, to Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the DOJ. Now, by law, what's supposed to happen is, as soon as the U.S. Attorney gets this, he has to take it to the grand jury, and then the grand jury will decide if he's culpable in this situation, if he should be prosecuted. Now, this seems pretty clear-cut to me. You send a subpoena and say he's supposed to come, but he doesn't come. That's a clear violation. You see, that court case won't have anything to do with what he has to do with the insurrection. It's just a matter of if he complied with the subpoena, and clearly he didn't. So if it gets referred to the DOJ, they go to the grand jury, he goes to trial, he should certainly be convicted. Now, if he's convicted... That could be a year in jail, among other things. You would think that would be enough um, to say, okay, I'll testify. Now, this whole thing could get tied up in court for months, years, just like Donald Trump has done before with all these other situations. And I'm thinking that what they're doing is is they're going to make a um, an example of Steve Bannon, thinking he'll play this game and play it out and try to delay and do all this shit that uh, he's doing, but they will still send him to criminal court. Now, there are other people out there that are under subpoena that don't have quite as much of a higher profile as Bannon or close a tie to Donald Trump as Bannon or as this crazy, drunken, stupid piece of shit as Bannon. And when they see this happen to Bannon, Steve Bannon, they're maybe going to think twice before they don't show up. I mean, how much how much money do you want to spend and how much risk do you want to take about putting in jail, being put in jail just to stand by Donald Trump? I got to think not everybody's going to be feeling that. And I have a feeling that Steve Bannon, once this goes to a grand jury or maybe before it goes to a grand jury, he may think better of it because this whole process of going to court and delaying is fine, but it's expensive. It costs a lot of money to have lawyers run this for you. And then risking possible jail? Dude was already there. He got uh, pardoned. He ain't getting pardoned this time because Donald Trump has no power. So it's going to be interesting to see what Steve Bannon does and how this particular situation affects the other folks. Now, the other three that were supposed to be testifying in front of the House Select Committee for whatever reason, maybe to focus on Bannon first, they've postponed those appearances. 
but it doesn't sound like they're going to postpone it for a week or months. It's going to be quick, and they're going to be expected to be there. And Benny Thompson said, look, Steve Bannon may not be the only one that gets sent over to the DOJ. The House Select Committee and the Democrats are serious about this. They've been run around and put through hoops and all kinds of shit during the impeachment. Hopefully they learned some things. And by learning those things, they figured out ways to avoid it and to attack the issue in a little better and smarter way. I assume that's the case. So far, it looks like the case. But what's going to happen here is hopefully it'll entice the other folks to actually stand up and testify. Now, you have to understand what's going to happen here. I think people mistake this testimony in front of Congress as a court. It's not a court. It's about exposing, collecting, and exposing information. And that doesn't mean that all these testimonies will appear on television. They won't necessarily appear on television. They just interviewed former Attorney General Rosen behind closed doors. What's going to happen is there's going to be a huge report uh, published on all the investigation and all the information, and it'll be released to the media and the public, and we will know what happens at that point. Now, if they come across things that are illegal, they'll be referred to the DOJ and Merrick Garland, the Attorney General. Now, one question you might have is, well, if Steve Bannon wasn't working for the White House, how could he have possibly been involved in January 6th? Well, the fact of the matter, he was. In spite of the fact he wasn't working for the White House, he was advising Donald Trump quite a bit. He was working in tandem with some of the people in Congress, all the Trumplicans. And uh, one telltale sign was on his podcast. Yeah, he's got a podcast too. Probably got more listeners than I do, but there's more truth that comes out on this than his piece of shit podcast. But on his podcast on January 5th, he specifically said, tomorrow, all hell is going to break loose. And then come January 6th, what happened? All hell broke loose. So clearly Bannon knew something about what was coming. He may have been part and parcel to planning what was coming, creating strategies and informing people about what's going on in the Capitol. As far as we know, he may have helped uh, plan this whole thing. I mean, he knew what the Capitol looked like on the inside. He had the connections with the uh, congressional members to help them give tours or stay in contact with these people. So you can bet that Steve Bannon had an integral part in the January 6th insurrection. He needs to testify, and we need to find out what he knows, assuming that he can can be honest about it. Now, see, here's the crazy thing about Steve Bannon. He's not going to show up. He's going to get referred for uh, criminal contempt, and he may go to court and may go to jail over it. You know, he could just show up and uh, plead the fifth on every question. At least he wouldn't be sent over for criminal contempt. He will have done what he did, and he can plead the fifth according to the Constitution, 
and probably got away with it. So it's hard to imagine why he wouldn't just do that. Doesn't make sense at all. But, you know, Steve Bannon is kind of a crazy fuck. We found that out. We found out that he's a felon, that he's been convicted. He's a convictable guy. So we're going to see how this uh, works out. But it's... uh, it's going to be interesting, and I'll be anxious to see if our DOJ has any teeth, if our Congress has any teeth, because if they can't compel these people to uh, testify and there's no accountability for it, well, that's troubling. That puts us in a bad situation with our government. It means that the government can't do a goddamn thing And this whole point of subpoenas and all these threats and things are just pointless because nobody apparently has to comply with any of this shit. They've got to make these people accountable in order to keep the legitimacy of Congress and the whole system. If they can't, then we have to question the validity of all the system. It's not working properly if they can't make them accountable. Speaking of accountability... Here's a little story that you probably have been hoping for. Maybe not in as big a way as you'd hope for, but uh, interesting nonetheless. It seems Donald Trump will be deposed on this coming Monday. He will be under oath. It will be on videotape. He's going to do it in the Trump Tower, but he is going to be deposed under oath. Now, this is coming from a lawsuit that was filed 2016, maybe, and this stems from an incident in 2015. Now, you see, Donald Trump was in Trump Tower. He was in the middle of his campaign, and um, these protesters showed up around the outside of Trump Tower. The security agents for Donald Trump headed out there, presumably sent by Donald Trump, and uh, they didn't just try to disperse these people. They, they uh, went after them. They attacked them. They were violent. They hurt them. So these people then filed lawsuit against Donald Trump. This is pretty small potatoes compared to many of the other things that Donald Trump is involved in. But it's interesting that he's going to be forced to sit under oath and be deposed. Now, the interesting thing about this deposition is that this videotape will also be used as Donald Trump's testimony in the trial. It's <laughs> and we know Donald Trump can't can't speak the truth under any circumstances. He's a pathological liar. Now, why these protesters were there in the first place, it was during the campaign, and you might remember when Donald Trump made that speech, he was talking about Mexicans coming across the southern border and how they were all rapists, murderers, drug traffickers, sex traffickers. Well, this irritated many Mexican people in this country, and that's why they went to protest. Apparently, Donald Trump saw all these brown people outside of Trump Tower, and he couldn't handle it. So he sent his security out there. They beat the hell out of these people, and now he's being sued. And now he's going to have to sit in deposition under oath. Now, here's the important thing to remember about this particular situation. Since it's going to be used for testimony, and because depositions are legally binding... 
if Donald Trump lies, <laughs> like that's not going to happen, if he lies, then he's guilty of perjury. And there ain't nothing he can do about it. He's going to sit there under the deposition. He's either not going to answer some questions or he's going to lie. It's going to be used as testimony in the trial. And if they can prove that it's a lie, which no doubt they can, because there's video of this shit, um, then he's going to have to suffer the consequences of maybe being charged with perjury. Again, that's small potatoes compared to many of the other things he's looking to be charged with, insurrection, uh, money laundering, <laughs> campaign finance laws. I mean, there's so many things that are under investigation with Donald Trump. One of these things is going to hit. The perjury charge may be the least of his problems, but I'm really anxious to hear about this deposition. Now, I don't know that we're going to see it after the deposition is done on Monday. Maybe we will when the trial starts. But you can bet they're going to be going through this with a fine-tooth comb. And they're going to be asking Donald Trump hard questions. And here's the one thing we all know with Donald Trump. You put him in a situation like that where he has to talk without a script, he will always, always fuck it up. His whole career as president could have gone a lot easier if he just learned to shut his mouth. If he'd shut his mouth, he wouldn't have gone through as many problems as he did. But he hasn't learned any lesson. He thinks he's smarter than everybody, so he thinks he can talk his way out of it, around it, or through these people. It hasn't worked because Donald Trump's not a sharp man. He's not an articulate man. So he will get himself in trouble in this situation. Not a big deal, it's not a big lawsuit, but it's the first step when Donald Trump has to go under oath. And more of that is going to come, and he will burn himself down when he does that. There's just no two ways about it. He just can't speak the truth. He can't help himself from lying. So all he can do is embarrass himself and maybe get himself convicted of perjury. <laughs> It's going to be very interesting. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, and, and we just have to sit back and watch this whole process. My only real concerns at this point, people talk about the slowness of getting justice with Donald Trump and, and the Trumplicans and stuff, and I understand this whole process is, is slow. But the slowness of it isn't my concern as much as if the DOJ in this country will show teeth, enough teeth to hold Donald Trump and those people around them accountable. You see, there's an attitude that some of these people will take. They'll say, well, we don't want to attack somebody like this because it'll look like it's political motives. They're worried about the perception of everything. Personally, I think, look, Somebody breaks a law, they need to be held responsible for that, and they need to pay the price if they're convicted, regardless of if it looks political or not. We know Donald Trump did all these things, and I'm going to be very upset if our DOJ wimps out and doesn't do anything. So maybe that's something we need to think about. We need to put pressure on Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice. I know Benny Thompson with the Select Committee is already doing it. He pointed out that this is on the DOJ, and the DOJ better do what they're supposed to do. 
But I think we need to make sure, keep the pressure on that the DOJ does, in fact, their job and holds people responsible for crimes they commit, whether they be president of the United States, a congressman, a senator, a governor, doesn't matter. They keep telling us nobody is above the law. Well, now it's time you fucking prove it. Prove it to us once and for all. All right, we're going to wrap this show up. I appreciate you taking the time and spending it with me. Questions, comments, complaints, whatever you have, you can always write me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. You can go to anchor.fm, look for Rational Boomer Podcast, and you can leave me a voicemail message. I'm always anxious to hear from you. Uh, I want you to be part of the program if you want to be. Just uh, send me an email, leave me a voicemail, let me know what you're thinking. And I'll incorporate it into the show unless you don't want me to. But I assume if you're calling in or sending me an email that you want to participate. All right. We'll be back in another day or so. We'll see what's happening at this point. You have a good rest of the week, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.